Before we get into today's episode, I have a very important question to ask you. Are you Adventist single and ready to mingle? It's a serious and honest question. If you are, I'd encourage you to go check out thelovepotluck.com. There you can sign up to participate in virtual speed dating for Adventist singles. I'm not in the market, of course, but it's really cool. Super inexpensive. They have events every Sunday you can sign up for. So go check it out. That's thelovepotluck.com. And now to today's show. You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man. Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Mission Lab. I am so excited. Today to have a good friend, a special guest on my show. His name is Pastor Nathan Stearman. He is hailing all the way from the great town or city of Brunswick, Maine. He pastors the Brunswick Seventh-day Adventist Church. Nathan, thank you for being on my podcast. Sean, thank you. It's it's an honor. And uh, yeah, I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, we've been trying to make this happen for a few months. You've been working diligently on completing your D-Min dissertation. I believe you got that finished finally, right? Well, I got the bulk of it finished. Um, So now it's the editing phase. So I'm, I'm working on putting in some edits based on feedback. So yeah, I mean, it's written. So now it's, it's getting it smoothed and polished. Yeah, cool. So uh, I'm sure a lot of what you're working on overlaps with what we're talking about today, because we're going to talk about discipleship. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's a broad category. We'll get into that in a second. Um, Obviously, this podcast, we focus on mission, discipleship, community, and uh, we'll unpack that a little bit more. But I want to just invite you, not everyone who listened to this podcast believe it or not not everyone knows you or has heard of you nathan (laughs) that's not hard to believe (laughs) i don't want to you know discourage you right here from the beginning but uh tell just maybe in two minutes or less like what are the basic outlines of your life that are relevant to uh well you think might be relevant to people who are listening yeah so i was um born in Massachusetts, raised in New Hampshire, and uh, my parents were both Seventh-day Adventists, still are Seventh-day Adventists. My dad and mom both worked off and on in Seventh-day Adventist um, self-supporting circles uh, for the most part. And um, so my whole life was exposed to to, I'd say a, a lot of it exposed to the Adventism in the self-supporting context. And um, when I left home uh, after college, ended up going to Andrews for a Master of Divinity. And while there, uh, pastored my first one church district while I was in seminary. And that was in Michigan. Um, and then pastored uh, up in the Upper Peninsula, one of one of our favorite places. And I should say that uh, <laughs> most important overlooked part here, got married in uh, 2002. To, <laughs> Are you sure? Yes. Uh, my... <laughs> My incredible wife, she is a nurse, and we have three kids. So that's that's the family side. We lived in Upper Peninsula, Michigan for a while, and then after that moved to the great flat state of Kansas, and then wow. uh, made a dramatic switch to Alaska. And we're in Alaska most recently before coming to Maine. We were in Alaska for just a about almost five years, so four and a half. 
And uh, then we decided we'd switch coasts for various <laughs> reasons. And uh, you're one of those reasons. I think God <laughs> connected us on Twitter in part as his way of leading us out east. So here we are in the great town of Brunswick, Maine. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really exciting how God put that all together. It was. That was it's yeah. probably one of the most impressive moves as far as um, seeing God's hand put the pieces together. I mean, I've mm-hmm. seen it every time we've moved, mm-hmm. we've sensed God leading, but this one was mm-hmm. uh, pretty obvious. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe if we had more time, I would explain a little bit from my end how that worked out. But uh, before we get into kind of our, our main discussion about discipleship, a couple things. Number one, I believe you and I were born in the same hospital, if I remember correctly, right down in Stoneham, Stoneham Massachusetts. That's that right. It's true. Uh, you, I, I must hasten to add, were a few years before me, I, I think. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure why that's important to add, but it's probably true. <laughs> and, uh, but more seriously, so you alluded to um, kind of this quote-unquote self-supporting work, and a uh, number of our listeners may not be familiar with that terminology for various reasons, just I would I would maybe just in summary describe it as a very um, conservative type of approach to religion, um, very uh, almost separatist um, in, in in their stance towards society. Um, and and you can correct me if if I'm not using good adjectives here to describe it. But um, maybe before we get into the main part of our our discussion, although it's very much I believe related to it. Um, you would say that you kind of uh, eventually journeyed out of that line or, or that type of religious uh, culture and, and experience. And so maybe just, again, briefly, five minutes at the most, like what what was your journey like and how did that transpire where you you made a very distinct and clear kind of departure from and break with that sort of cultural experience in the past. Yeah, that and and Sean that I appreciate you bringing that out because it's true um I know some of your listeners come from I mean not not some but your listeners come from all over the the um religious kind of different paradigm. So um and I think your description was good. Um so my story growing up I'd say the kind of the basic um, focal point of religion was very much rules and and performance and um, in general kind of a, a fairly critical culture. And that was in um, uh, several different different places. So it wasn't just one location, but it was kind of the same paradigm of um uh, tended toward the rigid perspective and um very performance again performance focused so uh, interestingly one time when i was oh man it must have been we were out in washington state at the time and this was one of the times our family was not associated with um, a self-supporting ministry at least work-wise but we went to, uh, we were still connecting, my, my parents were still connecting with self-supporting ministries on the side. And so one of the speakers said some church brought to town um, was a very gospel-oriented speaker. You probably know the guy, Ty Gibson, James Rafferty, <laughs> you might have heard of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, it was fascinating, you know, something spoke to me. And and again, I was, oh, maybe I'm thinking I was like 12 years old. Something just spoke to my heart. It was like, it was like a light was lit. Hmm. But for me, the journey was interesting because I was coming at religion from a rule centered, um, I want to use the right language here to try to convey this, Hmm. but, but a like a very human effort 
emphasis. And so there was a lot of kind of a fear of trusting God too much. I know that sounds crazy, mm. but but it was <laughs> yeah. an un, it, nobody said that, but there was kind mm. of this, you know, in the conversations of faith and grace and Jesus, it was almost this either internal or spoken pushback that was like, well, be careful because, and then, so there was always kind of this fear for me of, um, if I trust too much, if I, if I go too much toward grace or faith, the whole thing might fall apart and I'll be lost. Mm. That, that mm -hmm. thinking mm -hmm. permeated mm -hmm. my life all the way into, um, man, like 2013, 14 was still hanging mm -hmm. as a major paradigm. So, mm. so dialing back the, the reason that's important let me rephrase that the reason that encounter with Ty and James back in uh, Washington was important is because for me, it, it highlights as a side note, but it highlights the importance that we never know the influence we have in someone's life. A momentary mm -hmm. interaction mm -hmm. can, it's like a, a lighthouse for me. It was like a lighthouse mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. through years of struggling with legalism and discouragement and trying to find a better way in, in, in my Christian faith, it's like that beacon was there flashing on the horizon saying, mm. hey, there's a better way. There's something. So it, 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 at the times where I was like, you know what, is it really worth continuing? Is this really worth it? It's, mm -hmm. It was that beacon that said, hey, you know what, there is something better out there. And so mm. over the years that I, I kind of danced around that Goss, mm -hmm. the gospel and, and the beacon. And, and for me, what happened is I, I tried to hold enough of Jesus and enough of grace and faith to feel like I was gospel-oriented, gospel-centered. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But I held enough of self-dependence and the, the rule-centered, performance-centered paradigm to feel like I still had a handle on things. So I wasn't just letting things go and, and hoping this gospel thing worked out. I had my hand on the pulse and was going to make sure that things were going to be okay, which mm -hmm. by the time 2014-ish came around, I was reaching the end of that impossible road. It was falling apart around me. Um, my religion and my religious experience were... I think God allowed me to come to the place where I recognized that it's either the gospel or whatever else you're going to believe in won't work. Mm. And so I came mm. to the place where I was forced to <coughs> decide, hey, I'm either going to go all in with the gospel. Well, there's like three choices. I'm going to go all in with the gospel and just, just throw in the towel, just like give in to the gospel and go full bore and, and, uh, whatever risk or fallout comes because of that, so be it. I'm just going to go mm -hmm. for it because I'd been holding back all those years, you know, years mm -hmm. of ministry and, and Christian journey. Um, so, so then I, and, and, or I could keep doing what I was doing and watch the continued collapse or I could throw the whole thing in. And I was like, mm -hmm. you know, I know enough to know that if I throw the whole thing out, just just the whole religious thing out that that's you know that hasn't been productive for other people so that's probably not a smart move here and again that beacon it's like that beacon again was started mm. that connection in my past that i'd you know interact with ty and james and interact with the gospel over the years it was like hey there's an option out here there's something better and so i made the choice to just say hey i'm just going to go for it and um, just immerse myself in in the story of jesus in the wonder of grace and and uh, I'm going to do everything I can to cut my ties with the old way of seeing life, the old way of mm -hmm. doing religion. Mm -hmm. And that was, a, it was a watershed moment for me. It was, um, I mean, sometimes, sometimes I would be driving in my car and a raging battle in my head with like the, the old paradigm, just like, it was like, it was like all these warning lights going off. Like if you, if you, keep going the direction you're going, you're going to lose everything. You know, you, 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 mm. it, it's too good to be true or the gospel's not like that. So there were raging battles and, 
Mm, mm. I discovered during that time a couple of things. One was that faith, faith sometimes is a radical thing of, of literally saying to myself, I know this is true, speaking of the gospel. I know these facts about the gospel are true, and I'm going to believe them. Like it was a literal decision. It wasn't like it wasn't some great. Oh, I feel so good. Or which feeling and faith. There are times where where they jive, but this time Mm -hmm. it was a very rugged, mechanical, deliberate decision. I of of choosing a specific course and Mm. going with it in direct, determined rejection of an alternate course, and so. Uh, mm, it mm. was a kind of a lesson in faith for me that, that there are times where faith is a very rugged um, and deliberate thing. Maybe it's that way more often than not, but there are times where it's very painful. And mm, I'm mm. sure your listeners know that, at least some of oh, them. Man. For me, it was a new discovery. Yeah, but we need to be reminded of it over and over and over again. It's so... Good, man. I, I think we could just take up a whole hour just talking more and more about this, man. What, However, Nathan, what is so dangerous is that since you went all in with the gospel, you have turned into a raging alcoholic who beats your children <laughs> and you're a serial philanderer and you've given up, you've given up all the, the 28 fundamental beliefs of Adventism. You now are you're just you've you've gone off the deep end right because you went all in with the gospel (laughs) i love your (laughs) i love your sarcasm (laughs) uh you know one of the things that i tell people that i i i know that that it doesn't make sense every time but one of the things i tell people is that my experience with embracing the gospel changed how i treat my dog and Hmm. um the reason I mention that is because it, it struck me as I was pushing back against the old paradigm of rule-centered um, behavior-dependent, self-dependent religion, mm-hmm. and into the gospel. I didn't really think about it, but then one day it dawned on me that how I related to my animals, like my my temper, my losing my mm. temper with them, yelling mm. at my dog. That had mm. changed. And so it's like, wow. okay, I would expect wow. that my family would be treated well, but for the gospel to change how I treated my animals, that yeah. was like a marker for me of, hey, this is something real. This is not just a different way of seeing life. There's something going on that's deeper mm. because mm. it's changing my behaviors toward mm. even the animals. And so that was like a, for me, that's kind of an, it was an indicator for me, an affirmation of going in the right mm. direction. So yeah. I said two things I learned. One was um, pushing back against the old paradigm and pushing forward in faith is hard work. It's regular work. Um, part of that pushing back was like a daily for, for months, it was a daily immersion in the gospel deliberately mm. like i couldn't one or two days of not intentionally immersing in the gospel and i would start slipping back into the old paradigm but, but if you sorry you had a second thing i don't want to yep have you so i'm going to get to the second thing but so what do you mean but what do you mean immersion in the gospel what did that look like yeah so for me it was let me get to the second thing and then it will bring us yeah, back to yeah. the first thing the second yeah. thing was when when I hit the wall, mm-hmm. I went through my head and was thinking, who can I call? And I don't know who's listening. Hopefully a, a bunch of my friends aren't listening. Um, <laughs> but but there was only one person at that moment. It's like there are certain people you can call in certain crisis situations. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. our life, my life um, had crossed paths with a specific individual and mm-hmm. then that we had kind of we hadn't we hadn't parted ways but we had we were in different places but then then through this move to alaska our lives came back together and and that was the person that i needed at that time at that dark moment to hold mm. my hand a person mm. who had the flashlight who knew the path ahead um it almost 
someone who could see for me because I was moving from one paradigm into another paradigm and and I didn't know the layout of the land. The stuff I knew mm. before was mm -hmm. largely unhelpful in moving into this new gospel territory. So so I felt like a blind man needing somebody to hold my hand. Um, mm. And so so that was a person I talked to. And the the other and, and so that was part two is I learned the importance of friendship in mm -hmm. in spiritual growth and mm -hmm. Christian faith mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. absolutely essential. And and I I never I have not seen friendship the same since this experience. Mm -hmm. I haven't learned mm -hmm. all the lessons I could have, certainly haven't applied everything mm -hmm. I learned, but I've, there's definitely been a transition where I'm like cultivating good friendships, treating my friends well, letting them know they matter to me is important. Um, still growing into that, but definitely a transition point because of that experience. So the gospel was similar. Um, up to this crisis point, I had been reading my Bible through at a rigorous pace, um, hmm. and I can still find within a few pages where I stopped because huh. it was like religion, my religion up to this point, I, the crisis forced me to realize that the way I was doing religion wasn't working, and part hmm. of that was my reading of Scripture wasn't working because of how I was seeing it and relating to it. And so it's like I, I couldn't, I, part of breaking with the old path and part of the challenge was, was that it wasn't like I could just turn my back on, um, on, um, you know, it wasn't like I was, a, 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 a it wasn't like I was a Chevy guy all my life and now I could just walk out of the Chevy dealership and go to the Ford dealership. Mm -hmm. I still believe that the convictions of, that that I held the the larger convictions of mm -hmm. uh, that that my faith tradition holds uh, as a Seventh Day Adventist, the larger pieces were valid. I, I I still saw value there, but they were so connected to. But my experience was so connected to uh, like a a misperception of Scripture, and so connected to certain mm -hmm. practices that part of the break was finding a way to to make a break with the old without throwing the whole thing out. Mm, and so uh, I stopped yeah. reading my Bible on a daily basis. I I was still a pastor, so I had to preach. So how <laughs> you know how do you preach? So so I ended up the the light that had come into my life back in Washington with Ty Gibson. I ended up finding great value in in his in his um in his writing on the gospel and so that mm -hmm. became a beacon for me of reprocessing and and I call it a spiritual reboot mm -hmm. I went through mm -hmm. months mm -hmm. of spiritual rebooting I I preached using a set of bible study guides I would use the study guides like like adapt them to almost word for word to to slides uh, for mm -hmm. a sermon, I'd preach it. I I couldn't process at hmm. that point. There was it was so hard to keep moving forward and away from the old mm -hmm. paradigm that I I I couldn't process to prepare for a sermon without falling back into the old the old hmm. paradigms. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. over time, that changed. There came a time in uh, like uh, was it 2017, mm -hmm. um, maybe 2000. 18, 17 or 18, something like that, where I preached, I think it was 2018, like the first real sermon since the crisis had began, like where mm -hmm. I had done the thinking and reviewed. And there were a handful of sermons in between where I had done some processing, um, but most of it was just adapting what someone else was doing, had mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. And so that was so a milestone. Where I'm like, yeah. hey, there's progress here. Like the, this yeah. dark valley, there, there, there's the de determined effort over this time frame has made a difference. So that mm -hmm. was a cool kind of cool, yeah, very yeah, cool yeah. milestone. So what I hear you saying, some people might be listening and say, oh my goodness, here's a pastor who wasn't reading his Bible for himself. Uh, but what I what I hear you saying is that there was just so much baggage, right, 
surrounding your previous reading of scripture and and you didn't know how to read it without the old glasses on yeah you could only read it through those old glasses and so yeah. you needed new glasses and you know other people like ty were kind of like philip a story of philip in uh, acts where he comes up to this man who is from ethiopia and the ethiopian is reading it and he's like i don't know what i'm reading here and philip comes and he explains it to him and so that's kind of like like what you needed you needed to have training wheels on for a while right precisely and you know i was able to read some of the gospels without um Mm-hmm. Trigger texts. I mean, the, these mm-hmm. texts that were so connected to bad habits of thinking, bad patterns of faith, that I, I was very keenly aware, and certain passages could easily toss me back into the old paradigm. So it took very deliberate work to embrace. It's like again, I had come to the place where the the other had failed me. So, mm-hmm. so if I continued down that path, I knew the results. It's like every time I came and, and was kind of wavering, it's like, well, I knew what it was like to be in hell, you know, in my mm-hmm. own little small, mm-hmm. terrible experience. I knew what that was like. So it's like, you know, I'm not going back there. I, this is what will get me there. And there, so there's no point in me doing this anymore because it just goes back to the same place. And so that the circumstances that led to this shift were they weren't essential unfortunately for me it kind of took that experience it would have been much Mm -hmm, preferred mm -hmm. if i had back when i was in my you know early teens junior junior high years if i'd been like man the gospel is awesome i mean i had an encounter with a guy in high school um he i think was a junior senior i was a sophomore and and we would read just excerpts uh, on the story of Jesus from one of the an, an author we were we were reading periodically, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we would just we would like tears would be rolling down our face. I mean, here's a couple of high school guys who are mm-hmm. who are experiencing experiencing deep emotion over the story of Jesus, and those were treasured years. But mm. like that was another beacon for me that that held my heart with some hope but mm-hmm, i mm-hmm. but i didn't at that point throw myself in with the gospel i was still holding like still holding enough of of the control aspect of of works and performance to mm. have that illusion of safety and spiritual security mm, mm. um and enough of the gospel to feel like i wasn't and to avoid being like totally overcome by guilt and mm-hmm. and discouragement. So, but the, the ultimately those two paradigms are irreconcilable. And so because of that, the paradigm that was really dominating, even though I thought I had both, was the paradigm of performance. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until until I came to the end of that road where I realized they're they are permanently opposed to each other and it's only an illusion that i can hold both in the end i've Mm. got to abandon the performance paradigm and embrace Mm. the gospel and allow the gospel to do its work the gospel way and and i I just can't have both and Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that switch was important what what's for for those listening um what like let's get practical here like when you talk about performance based uh, rules-based religion um, versus gospel-based, gospel-centered. Like, what's a very practical example that you could give where you are living a a performance rules-based paradigm rather than a like like let's just put our feet on the ground here. What, yep. what are you talking about exactly? So I would say um, a couple of things. One would be internally. Internally, my motivation was guilt. Um, internally, my understanding of the Holy Spirit's work of conviction was the more guilty I felt, the more Mm -hmm. shame I felt, the more, um, I guess that's enough descriptions there. The, the, (laughs) the worse I felt about something, the stronger the Holy Spirit was at work. And so my, Mm -hmm. my motive for doing whatever thing needed to be done 
was emotional, negative emotion, mm, and mm, and mm. this driving of guilt. So it's literally a, an experience of so whether it's you know maybe I need to be nice to my kids or maybe I need to um, maybe it'd be use, helpful if I spent more time in Bible study. So you know the two motives. I guess there was a second one. Um, pride, you know, ego, I'm doing these things. It makes mm -hmm. me look good. And the other one, the more dominant one was guilt. If I, you know, if I don't spend time on Bible, if I don't pray, if I don't do these things, I'm, you know, going to be lost or, mm -hmm. or um, mm -hmm. I'm not doing what I should. And so, I mean, that, what a shame you're following God, the, 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 the God who was willing to give up everything um, so that I could have the opportunity of knowing him and discovering the wonder of who he is, and that I would be motivated purely by terror and fear. It, it's just, it's, it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's very mm -hmm. common to human experience. So I don't want to belittle it, but it's tragic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's really good. So the I, other, I mean, I, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was just say, so the other contrast to that would be that, um, I understand there's a the paradigm shift is that the motive comes because I discover who God is and as my heart is drawn toward him I am open to him changing and him making you know take him in these small steps there's a the the starting place the paradigm of beginning is a paradigm of knowing that I am loved unconditionally that that I am the treasured child of God, that he views me as perfect in spite of the fact that I'm anything but perfect, that he chooses to treat me as a success rather than a failure because his good faith and good investment in me is the way that he is able to move my heart from fear to trust. And when I trust him, then I'm open to doing things differently. I'm not so obsessed with myself and, and, I'm, and I'm not so full of anxiety. And, and so change happens. Like I said, I started treating my dog better because this burden was lifted. And now instead of mm -hmm. being driven by fear and guilt, there was this, this love awakening in my heart. Um, I experienced freedom to be myself rather than trying to fit this this mold I had in my head. So it affected my preaching and my interaction with other people. Um, and I learned to love my wife in ways I had never done before because God was opening up my heart. He was working mm -hmm. a healing deeper inside of me that ultimately would percolate out in these more superficial changes. Mm -hmm. So example two, for the rule-centered paradigm, when I would see people, and I, I still wrestle with this today, like shifting out of this, and it's maybe a lifelong process, I would see people walking through the doors of the church, and I would assess their spiritual, even personal value based on externals, what they were wearing, mm -hmm. what they were listening mm -hmm. to, how they walked in, what they were talking about. And it struck me in this crisis how absolutely shallow that it, it, it was shocking to me that I could see mm. that that my that my assessment of other people was purely based on visual cues. I wasn't concerned about their a deep spiritual or family crisis they might be going going through. Mm. I was mm. only moved by how they appeared to me physically and. I was so ashamed and it finally came through that the people around me, my spouse, others were boiled down to just the superficial stuff. I, I was so ashamed. Um, and so the gospel began shifting where God's been helping me to see people for people. And, and you know, I, I think again, mm. I'll probably wrestle with, you know, assessing people that way for the rest of my life. But the shift is that people have value and depth beyond the stuff we see on the outside and mm. that the person has value to God and it's not determined positively or negatively um, based mm. on the tra the outside stuff. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, man, anyway. it's so good, Nathan. No, that's really, really good. I think that is so relevant. It resonates so much with me. It's very much similar to my own journey. Um, Which even I though, think is why we've connected. Yeah, yeah, even, yeah. yeah, yeah some sure. differences, but I think there's a connection yeah. there. Yeah, even though that. I would say I had a much, you know, not to compare, but, you know, I, I think I was raised in a, in a, a much more gospel-saturated environment. My parents knew the gospel, loved the gospel, proclaimed the gospel, lived the gospel. You still pick up on a lot of stuff. Right. And we don't always understand the full implications of the gospel. And I think for me... um when it started clicking with me more, um, it, it was one motivation, kind of like what you're referring to. You might do the same behavior, but it's motivated from a yeah. different paradigm. But then once you shift from, and again, I'm I'm very much in process as well, but once you shift from a um, paradigm of fear to a paradigm of love, the some of the behaviors like some of the do's and don'ts quote unquote uh they also do change and like some things that you thought you were or were not supposed to do before you realize that you only did them out of fear right and so when fear disappears you're like oh actually i don't need to worry about that yep. like we could give multiple you know examples like i would even say like what I do on Sabbaths, mm-hmm. right? Like what I do on Saturdays. It's it's not only um, changed my motivation, but it has actually changed what I do on Sabbath because I realized that a lot of what I had not done before or did do before was based on fear. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that kind of resonate with Absolutely. what you're saying? And I'd say too, the other thing is it's it has... Um, I've become much more interested in understanding the the purpose and impact of mm. of certain practices and beliefs and their mm-hmm. relationship to the gospel and the gospel mm-hmm. as the the lens through which I see them and and the relational that the gospel is very relational in nature and mm-hmm. is designed mm-hmm. to make relationship with God and with other people flourish. And so that means that the things I believe through the gospel lens, um, somehow, if they're really grounded biblically, contribute to the flourishing of one or both of those relational circles. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, that Mm -hmm. I think what happens with when we become so absorbed in, um, rules or maintaining certain doctrinal positions, we can, I think I texted you recently about this, but that we can, in seeking to protect a certain doctrine, let's just say, use the one you you mentioned, the Sabbath, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, we become so committed to protecting the seventh day as a day of worship that must be honored a specific way. We can become so absorbed in protecting it that we literally lose its purpose. So for me, mm-hmm. it's re-looking mm-hmm. at these things and saying, okay, through the gospel lens, what's the purpose? How does the Sabbath, what is God trying to accomplish in the Sabbath? And revisiting it and discovering its purpose, which is to bless and to, to break our obsession with, with getting and our obsession with... Mm you know, the Sabbath is huge, hugely valuable. Like it, it, it has such transformative potential, but when it's held as a mere doctrinal tenet or a set of rules, do's and don'ts, it gets lost in that. And the gospel causes mm-hmm. me to step back and re-examine these things and discover God's purpose in them and experience mm-hmm. their, and, and begin to mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. their their fullness. And then then reality is, some of the things that maybe have done were done because of a grudge, they take on new, fresh meaning. And it's like, well, I want more of this. And so what may have mm. been done in the past or not done in the past or may have been done begrudgingly, all of a sudden there's changes that happen with joy and delight. And you're just you're growing and experiencing the wonder of God's grace 
And then you look back and, and you can see the contrast between the begrudging performance versus the delighted mm. freedom of mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. in love with God and growing, which really that's the paradigm of growth is, is mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. The freedom of love is the one where the heart can really start to blossom. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So really good. I, I think, you know, I think kind of, of, um, in the, in the Jewish kind of religious paradigm in, in the more orthodox conservative, um, kind of strands of it, they, there's something called Humrah, Chumrah, um, which, which kind of a, a, um, literal translation would be building a fence around the Torah. Hmm. And what that means is, um, they, they, they add laws upon laws so that they can prevent themselves from getting anywhere close to breaking the Torah. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we kind of, we kind of talk about the slippery slope and that's kind of, oh man, some, some people's favorite expression, like, and I, and I, I, I have this, these tapes in my head that are so fearful of quote unquote, the slippery slope. And kind of like, like you're saying, if you go all in with the gospel, like next thing you know, I said it very tongue in cheek before, but you assume that if you take one step towards the gospel, you'll end up, you know, an alcoholic who beats their children or who rejects, you know, fundamental belief number 13 or 17 or whatever. I'm, I'm just picking random numbers, but, um, but when you when you shift to a place of of love and 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 being in step with the spirit, there's liberty there. Yep. And you realize that you've built up so many barriers that you are a long ways from actual authentic relational, you know, spirituality. Right. There's a a text that's that uh, really stood out to me um, this last year going through the book of Galatians. And um, Paul makes this statement that, um, I'm just going to paraphrase it, that the believer waits in the hope of righteousness. And I thought, that's fascinating. He wasn't talking mm -hmm. about the second coming. He wasn't saying believers wait for the second coming of Jesus. He was saying that believers wait with hope, or should I say, wait in faith for the hope of righteousness. In other words, for Paul, there is this sense in which on, on one hand works an effort-oriented religious experience, a performance focus can appear to accomplish something faster. We make certain changes mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. diet or mm -hmm. lifestyle mm -hmm. or whatever. But Paul's contrast, which is fascinating, is a is a place for the believer of waiting with hope for the Holy Spirit to do something I can't do. It doesn't mm. mean that I sit on my bed and just wait around to become good, but, mm -hmm. but it does mean that the paradigm I operate out of is one of recognizing that real righteousness is the result of the Holy Spirit at work in my life deeper sometimes than I can, and, and maybe often, or perhaps most of the time, deeper than I can realize and at levels I realize where the Holy Spirit is doing something to change me as a person. So it's not just superficial, what I wear or what I put on or what's visible. It's actually mm -hmm. this transformation of the whole person. And mm -hmm. I, that's why Paul mm -hmm. said we're mm -hmm. waiting because mm -hmm. there's something about real righteousness being birthed in a human's life that's not crack a can open and, 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 and it's ready. It, it's more like the chef who's working on a minestrone or something where it's a little seasoning here and a little there, and then it cooks for hours and, and it marinates. And, and it's like that's, and you can't, you can't make it. Some things just, there's no instant version because the marination process is necessary to get the flavors and complexity that, that make the final dish. And that's mm. what God's doing. And Paul says, so I'm waiting on the chef. Because there is a sense in which as much as I want to be this new person, there's a sense in which there's a pace at which that can happen and a pace at which it can't happen. 
So it was a, just an encouraging text that kind of encapsulates. Mm, ah, that's good. I really, yeah, I really like rest. that. Yeah, that's really good. I really like that. Rest, resting and waiting, you know, are not, they're not natural to the human heart, of course, but especially in, in a kind of, oh man, that connects to like our discipleship paradigm, our evangelistic paradigm, where in our particular community of faith, um, we expect results, af- you know, after a, a six week, you know, seminar, prophecy seminar, and we, we have our formula, right. And, and like, we, we almost, um, control the process we think we do, where if we put in the right ingredients and the right formula, then voila, if these people are serious about God, they will be where we think they should be at the end of those six weeks, right? Right. Major faulty assumptions there. Um, and yeah, and yeah, so like, so, so, so yeah, what's the, um, like, you know, our particular community of faith, and we've kind of indirectly kind of talked about this throughout, throughout the episode so far, um, like our particular community of faith, we have this very formulaic, uh, intellectual-based um, paradigm, non-relational paradigm of discipleship. And so how do we get away from that? And where where has it gotten us? I mean, I mean, your story is kind of kind of already answers that question where it's gotten us. We have a, we have a very fear-based, uh, one-dimensional type of disciple that we've made, right? Yes. And, you know, I'm, I think the implications and repercussions have been experienced at lots of levels. Because if we assume that right information is the key, then everything we do is going to revolve around right information, the things we mm-hmm. value. So for example, mm-hmm. in um, our interactions with other people, if information is the highest value, then how I treat the person can take second, third, fourth, or backseat altogether mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm right. So that just if, because right information is, is, you might say the, the, highest value, um, the prized possession, if you would, then everything else, you know, I can beat my Mm -hmm. wife up at home as long as my preaching, Mm. uh, this is an oxymoron, but, but it's kind of the internal thing. As long as my preaching is spot on and I'm, and people affirm that it's biblical, then, then I can have these dichotomies in my life because I have the thing that matters most. And that's the information. Mm, now, mm. right information matters. I mean, obviously, I spent mm, hours mm. and and am still intentional. Uh, I still keep a very kind of a. Um, I'm still very aware of of how my life is relating to the gospel. How aware I am of the gospel. How in that paradigm I am, and I am. It doesn't have to be like quite as daily as it was before, as far as kind of reorienting toward that paradigm. Um, mm-hmm. But it has mm-hmm. to be pretty intentional still because I find I easily drift if I'm not mm. intentionally coming mm-hmm. back to Jesus as the center. Um, so, but if I'm, if I'm in an information paradigm, I guess what I was saying is, I lost my train of thought, but what I was saying is information matters but information mm-hmm. isn't all that matters. So we're looking at the whole person of, of connecting with God and connecting with people and growing in those relationships. And if we assume that content is the only thing that matters, um, then we create people who, if they can answer, if they can pass a test on a set of beliefs, then we have assumed, then we assumed it's the faulty assumption that if you know the right answers, you're a spiritual person. That's a completely mm-hmm. false um, correlation. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the opposite side of the coin is we assume that if you get to the end of our timeline and you don't agree to those right answers, that you are therefore 
not being led by the spirit. Right. And that's kind of like the, the, the opposite side of the coin. Um, but so, so, you know, what, let's get practical here. Um, what, what would a gospel centered discipleship paradigm look like for you're you're the, I mean, you're trying to figure this out as a local church pastor. I'm trying to figure it out. Um, and, and part of it is tricky because as we talk about, it's not just information, but it includes information. Um, and you know, we could tell somebody, well, being a disciple of Jesus means being immersed in scripture. Well, if you're reading scripture wrong, then it doesn't matter how much scripture you read. It's going to be counterproductive. Um, you know, the, the Pharisees, they knew the scriptures backward and forward. And Jesus said, actually, you don't really know them. Uh, so anyway, how, how do we get practical here? How do we, how do we implement um, or how do we live out a gospel-centered discipleship? Mm, that's a loaded question. So it's the million-dollar question, right? Yeah, and and um, like my mind's almost blank. Like I'm thinking through all these possible <laughs> answers, and then their counterpoints. Um, but I'll just talk about where I'm at. So yeah, um, for me, the the gospel is um, centered around Jesus. First of all, we've, we've got to mm -hmm. be, and, and not like, okay, I know the facts of the Jesus story, mm -hmm. but like mm -hmm. a reflective centering around the Jesus story, an obsessive mm -hmm. even reflection of the Jesus story. We, there's a lot of things we can study but when those things are studied to the exclusion or the minimizing of the Jesus story, we're in trouble. Mm, mm, mm. And the second thing is um, recognizing that the, the performance, the performance orientation of religious life and the grace mm -hmm. orientation of religious life are fundamentally diametrically opposed, irreconcilable. So we can't mm -hmm. hold in one hand a performance-centered, effort-focused religious paradigm and a Jesus paradigm. We, we can't hold those both. And so I think recognizing that we have to make a decision. We're going to trust the grace of God. We're going to trust the work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to press into Jesus. We're going to press into the lavish grace of God. Mm -hmm. And we're going to let go of our obsession with our performance and instead embrace Jesus. Paul alluded to this, looking unto Jesus. He's like, we've got stuff. Mm -hmm, We're running mm -hmm. this race. We want to win this race. But he begins it with looking unto Jesus. Like they're, they're, you know, the success of the race is not in human ingenuity or human devotion. It's mm -hmm. in the devotion of God mm -hmm. to us and our response mm -hmm. to that. Mm -hmm. So, so for me, that's one of those things is, is mm -hmm. constantly bringing the church back to Jesus, back to a grace oriented, spirit driven understanding mm -hmm. of how mm -hmm. the gospel works. So that's pulpit stuff. That's interacting one-on-one. Mm -hmm. -on -one. I would say the other element is um, recognizing that the gospel always moves us toward people with mm, grace mm, and that's a I love that. important growth paradigm it's also an important check to say is what we're teaching and believing grace saturated is it moving toward grace or away from grace um so for instance if if i'm in a discussion on facebook which i pretty much have boycotted because, um, <laughs> but that's a side point if I'm in a discussion on social media and I can excuse being snarky or crude or disrespectful or cocky because I have the right answer, red lights should be going off. Red flags should be flying high 
because that's fundamentally anti-gospel behavior, period. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the mm-hmm. fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. If, if as a church, then we, we say, what ways can we encourage one another? What, what cultural changes can we make that hold up the values of the fruit of the Spirit? as the things that we affirm, the things that we encourage, um, gentleness, faith, patience, kindness, goodness. When you look at that, so it's, it, it, it's, it's doing, it's affirming that those are the values of scripture. And I think that's maybe not as obvious as it needs to be, but if we, if our paradigm is, what's the next move of this political figure in the fulfillment of Bible prophecy? Hmm. Like if that's our focal point, (laughs) then Uh. there's a certain, then that sets a certain value standard. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. we begin to, to judge our behavior and others behavior based on that, that value marker, which is the application of, or the attempted application of prophetic passages. Hmm. It isn't mm-hmm. to minimize prophecy, but it's saying, where's the focal point? Where's the, mm-hmm. where's the value tied to? What's, what's the index that, that our value system is tied to? Whereas if we, if we say, okay, you know, let's try to figure this out. But the moment we see impatience or irritability or, or bad attitudes coming in, we put the brakes on say, wait, let, let, let's put that study on a pause because we've got a big issue here. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're mm-hmm. putting values where scripture puts them. I mean, look at the, the what the seven things God hates in Proverbs. I just looked hmm. at this, um, this last weekend and it caught mm-hmm. my attention, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. The, the one of the seventh thing in that list is people who cause division. Hmm. And yet huh. there's there's yeah. no in that list sabbath breaking doesn't come up stealing doesn't come up um cheating on your spouse doesn't come up I'm not minimizing any of those things they're clearly violations of God's will but what's fascinating is some of the things that we that are triggers moral triggers for us don't have the same level of moral triggering in God's mind, he's looking at the proud countenance, the, mm, the, mm-hmm. the person with a murderous, hateful attitude, the mm-hmm. person who's causing strife and division. So that's wow. relational stuff. So yeah, we've got to make sure yeah, that yeah. what we, th- that the marker we hold as an indicator of spiritual health is actually reflective of the biblical paradigm, which is mm. relationship mm with God and people that's growing and healthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh man, Nathan, that is so good. It, it, it kind of makes me think about just recently my paradigm. Um, I mean, the paradigm is always evolving and shifting. And I think lately I've been moving in my own paradigm to think to transition from a mission being to quote unquote make disciples, which I think is really important, to creating healthy and safe community. And I say that because the idea of making a disciple sounds pretty individualistic. And we are only fully. Uh, disciples when we are disciples in community. Yep, absolutely. And and so the grand goal towards which God is working is born out of his Trinitarian communal identity. That's it. And, And we, so that's the ultimate goal. Like all the theology we have, all of the discipleship we do, all of the teaching we do is moving toward us being able to live in safe and vibrant and rich and other-centered community. That's pretty cool to hear you say that because that's exactly the conclusion I came to. It was my kickoff sermon for 2021 was this idea that it was one line focal point from start to finish. Growing Mm -hmm. healthy relationships is the point. Mm, That's mm-hmm, the point, because mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. what struck me is that 
I, I read there was a, a dissertation I read or reviewed at least part of it in my doctor minister research where um, Randall Neighbor observes that observed that the reason small groups don't work in Western culture is because it's one more program. Okay, that's a that's a simple observation, but it got me thinking to realize the reason it's a program is because it's not reflective of a culture, and that that and some other things I've been thinking over just brought me to the place where I'm like, you know what, the thing, and this is would be the the other piece to just I would just go with you a hundred percent that the thing I really want to see become a value this year is a commitment to relationships, healthy, growing relationships being mm-hmm. the thing that we're working toward, whether it's mm-hmm. a board meeting mm-hmm. or a small group, like all mm-hmm. of that stuff mm-hmm. is within the paradigm of what we're committed to. I mean, you said it mm-hmm. better than I'm saying it now, but I think no, it's no, very cool good. that that where you have moved, and, and this is not because we've had a conversation on this. It's just that I think and there's another mm-hmm. friend in church where he's been studying and and sensing the same thing. It's like mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. me, I see I have overlooked the centrality of the gospel in building those healthy relationships, those healthy communities, mm-hmm. not healthy in the sense mm-hmm. that they're always convenient for me. I always feel welcomed, but in the sense that I'm becoming more robust and capable at having emotionally growing relationships Mm. and I'm pushing in towards people instead of pulling out towards my camp or pulling back when my feelings Mm -hmm. are walking Mm -hmm. over. I'm pressing in and trying to figure this thing out. I'm I'm taking more risks because I'm learning to rest in Jesus more so I can love more freely. Mm -hmm. And and that moves into our community, not just our church, but ends up moving into our community. I mean, this is the thing, the gospel. I mean, Jesus said, Hey, when they, when Mm -hmm. you love each other, like, uh, like I've showed you, then the world's going to mm-hmm. say, Hey, they've got it together. Yeah. 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 Yeah, man. I, I, you know, lately, and, and I'm sure actually my next guest I'll be having on the show, we'll talk about it with her. But uh, lately we've been kind of trying to drill down here in our church to get more clear and concise on our mission. And so I've been wrestling, that is our local church mission. And I've been wrestling a lot with, with, with how to articulate that. And I think maybe two years ago, I would have said our mission is to make disciples, which is true, like in some ways, but, but the making of disciples is in service ultimately of, of being in community. Yeah. So we, so we make healthy disciples who are in community with each other. And, you know, at the end of the day, it all boils down to, to humans being in community with each other. And, um, you know, I think our particular faith community, we think our mission is to get proclaim the truth. Well, no, our ultimate mission is to proclaim the truth so that it will bring healing to people so that they can be safe, emotionally robust, theologically informed um, disciples who are in community with each other. That's um, right. Absolutely. And that's the key, I think, or one of the pieces that we've got to really embrace is that the proclamation is a means to an end. And the end is our goal, not the proclamation. Exactly. Yeah. No. So theology, the sole purpose of theology is to get me to join up in fellowship and community with God and to be in community and fellowship with God's other children. Absolutely. That's that's the sole purpose. And it's trying to get me to be in that fellowship in a safe way so that I'm not abusing and violating the other people I'm in community with. Yep. And that's that's what that's what it all comes down to for me. So that's it. Good stuff. Hey, Nathan, we have gone on now for over one hour. And uh man, we we could keep going. But we will pull the plug on our uh, on our conversation so that our listeners can. Uh, it's always better to have them wanting more than wishing we would we would shut up. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, 
at least me. I'm sure they can listen to you forever. Well, but but anyway, so Nathan, it's been really good. I appreciate it. We'll have to do this again very soon. And um, yeah, maybe we can talk I, about discipleship more broadly. Ah, uh, there you go. It was. I think it was. We got there in a roundabout way. Um, it was really good, and I know you. Uh, I really appreciate you. Appreciate all of the the times we interact. Um, you're one of the few that uh, few victims of mine that I text a lot of my crazy <laughs> ideas to. So thanks for humoring me and indulging me. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, we do have to connect to, some more. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I uh, hopefully you know a lot, we didn't even talk about COVID, but obviously this whole pandemic creates a whole other can of worms for for discipleship but by god's grace uh we will soon have this behind us so anyway thanks nathan for joining me Thank and you, uh, we'll look forward to chatting again soon so thanks guys for listening and we'll catch up with you next time on mission lab thank you for listening to mission lab our theme song is portland hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris O'Day. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.